0: Amen. Glad he is always the same, never changes, and God's Word never changes. So take a copy of it tonight, open it with me to Jeremiah in the Old Testament. I sure am glad that Brother Kenny put the church back together. And so uh, uh, something about splitting the church and then putting it back together. But uh, sure, uh, enjoy the church, enjoy the Word of God. Tonight we're in for a real treat as we look at two books, one of them is definitely larger than the other. And of course, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And as we get into this, of course, I want to remind you, you can see the books there on the shelves on the slide there. We're going through the Old Testament. If you're joining us maybe for the first time or first time in a while, we are in that section there. Notice on the bottom shelf dealing with the, what's known as the major prophets. And I gave an introduction to the prophets last week, won't go back over that. But major and minor, the difference is the size, not the importance of the books. All of God's word is important, and it's all given to us by God himself. And so we're looking at, there's four of what they call the major prophets. We looked at Isaiah last week, Jeremiah this week, next week Ezekiel, and then we have the book of Daniel, and those are the four major prophets. And then, of course, all the ones you see there I guess that's kind of a lime green color, uh, if, I'm, if I'm saying that right. That, that is the minor prophets, and we'll tackle those, and of course, each one of them significant. Now, if you look at the next slide, again, how the, the Old Testament's put together, we covered this section of the law, the five books there, the Pentateuch, and then you have the books of history. We spent a while on those and then we had the books of poetry. We fi- finished those up a couple weeks ago. And so that last section, which is a little larger, as I just mentioned, you have the major prophets, then the minor prophets. That's where we are, so you're up to speeds as far as. And by the way, I, I, I was saved for many years before I really understood the structure and how the Bible's put together. I do think it helps us to know these sections because, remember, That The way your Bible is put together, the 66 books, that they're not put together from cover to cover in chronological order. So it's important for us to understand how these fit together. And I hope that you take the time, maybe use these notes as you're reading and studying the Word of God. Now, as we get into the book of Jeremiah tonight, Jeremiah, is uh, the, the heading here is the book of horror and the book of hope. And uh, again, you'll understand that word horror, and maybe you're more familiar with the book of Jeremiah than others may be, but there is much here in regards to the judgment of God and, of course, the sin of God's people. We'll get into all of that as we go through our study tonight. Now, the name Jeremiah means one whom Jehovah appoints or to launch forth. He appoints this individual or launches them forth. It's much like how Jesus in the New Testament of our Bible, he called out his 12 and he sent them forth. Well, Jeremiah was the prophet in the Old Testament that Jehovah God appointed and launched forth. Notice that he was chosen to be a prophet before he was born. How about that? God called me to preach the gospel at the age of 30, and, uh, of course, what a privilege it's been. But understand, according to Jeremiah 1.5, and you can look at the verse there if you want, "...behold, I, uh, before I formed thee in the belly, God says, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations." So when you think of Jeremiah, Jeremiah didn't, he didn't have to think about what he was going to do because according to the Word of God, he was chosen to be a prophet before he was even born. Now it says here, Jeremiah, we talked about Isaiah last week. Jeremiah was a contemporary with these individuals. In other words, his ministry that God gave to him kind of overlapped in various ways with Ezekiel, Daniel, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Nahum, and Obadiah. And so as you think about this, I want you to see, I think I have a chart here. Maybe I do. I don't know. There you go. You may not have this chart, but uh, if if you can see it there, you can see what I just described, read the names down at the bottom, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Daniel, Ezekiel. But notice Jeremiah there across the bottom, how his ministry and what he did, and of course, it deals with the various kings that that were ruling the kingdom of Judah at the time, some of what was going on in the known world at that time. But this is just a visual for you to see the ministry. And, of course, Jeremiah giving a long span there that he was able to prophesy and to share the word of God in the, the time frame that God gave to him. Now, if you look in the list of the prophets in your notes, he was the ninth prophet given And, of course, the message that God gave to him is what he declared. He has been called, and many of you probably have heard this, the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Otherwise, he was referred to as the prophet of a broken heart. And, again, when you think about this, this was Paul in the New Testament. Paul's heart was that all Israel would be saved. Jeremiah's heart was for the nation of Israel, the people of Judah, And so we find here that he wept over them and was very concerned about their condition. Notice he is the solemn seer, S-E-E-R, of the 16 prophets. Now, I don't think I include this in your notes, but this may be just a little bit of a lesson for you tonight. You could jot this down if you have space there. But I've mentioned this last week, what a prophet was. So let's just define this. A prophet is one that foretells future events. They're a predictor or a foreteller, okay? Not a fortune teller, a foreteller. They were telling forth the Word of God. Now, what is a seer, okay? Now, a seer, S-E-E-R, is one who sees, visions, visions, of future events. That's what a seer is. So if I can say it this way, every seer was a prophet, but not every prophet was a seer in the Bible. If you understand that, I'll say it again. Every seer was a prophet, but not every prophet was a seer in the Bible. Not every prophet saw visions, but there is a little bit of a distinction there that he was the solemn seer of the 16 prophets. Now, next statement here is that that when you look at the ministry of Jeremiah, he was the Job among the prophets. Now, we studied recently the ministry of Job, the life of Job, and all that Job went through. And notice here that he was considered the Job of the prophets, but he was the one that reminded the world of Christ. Now, if you, if you take the time, again, I don't remember what all I gave you, but Matthew 16, are those verses there? Okay, so look at these verses. And we're talking here about how he was reminded the world, Jeremiah did, of Christ. And the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, and some, notice others, Jeremias or one of the prophets. So again, you see here that Jeremiah was one that reminded the world. Now think about this, Jeremiah wasn't alive in the New Testament, but in his day, he reminded the world of Christ. Jeremiah was, and this is just something that Again, I, I did an extensive study, don't have time to cover everything. But Jeremiah could weep, listen to this, he could weep, but he was not weak. He was sensitive, but he was not strengthless. He was compassionate, but not with, he would not compromise in what God gave him to do. He was a little child before God, but he was a lion-hearted champion of righteousness before men, I, I wanted to share that with you because number one that 's true about Jeremiah. Number two is oftentimes we need to get a good picture of these individuals that stood tall for the Lord in their day. Jeremiah was one of those individuals that did not shy away. There were things he dealt with. I'll be honest with you, many in the Bible did not deal with some of the things that Jeremiah dealt with in his ministry. Notice he was the only man. How about this one? Only man in the Bible who was told not to marry. You don't find anybody else in the Bible. It says in Jeremiah 16, in verse 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. God had a purpose behind that. Notice as you study his work, that really Jeremiah's work was twofold in its character. Jeremiah's work was, first of all, constructive, and Jeremiah's work, secondly, was destructive. Now, understand, Jeremiah's work was God's work, and so God was using this man, this man of God, this prophet, and I want you to see that as a result of his bold preaching, look at all these things that we see Jeremiah going through, and I won't turn to the passages. I've given you the references here. You can go look yourself, but this is a result. And, and, and you mark it down in this world that we live in that is intolerant to the things of God, that if you stand for the Lord in your day the way Jeremiah stood for the Lord in his day, you may see some of these things come to pass in your life or in the world that you are in. Notice, first of all, in chapter 11, he was rejected and we see in chapter 12, his brethren dealt treacherously with him. I mean, he was there trying to help them, and yet they dealt with him the way that they did. Kind of sounds like Joseph in the Bible. Notice, thirdly, he contended with false prophets face to face. Two different places he dealt with false prophets. There are many in the world today that have false messages. So I I was telling somebody that, Uh, I mentioned, I said, you know, there can be preachers that are not saved, and he kind of looked at me, and I said, that's right. I said, if there were false prophets, there can be false preachers, and understand that there are many wolves in sheep's clothing, and so Jeremiah in his day, he dealt with false teachers and false prophets. Notice number four, he suffered persecution in chapter 15. In chapter 20, he was beaten and placed in stocks, are you starting to get a little picture of what Jeremiah went through for his preaching of God's word? Notice number 6, his life was threatened. Chapter 26 and 36. He was imprisoned charged with treason. You know, again, this it was a very hostile. But a lot of times people think, "Boy, the world is bad today." It was bad in Jeremiah's day. By the way, it was bad in Noah's day. The world has always been bad because of sin. Notice number eight, some of his prophecies were burned. does it sound like God's word was received by everyone. They burned the word of God. Number nine, he was placed in a dungeon to die, chapter 38. And in chapter 40, he was bound in chains. I mean, what a picture. And by the way, that's, that's a true picture of actual things that happened to this prophet of God. Now, it says, judging from the treatment that he received in preaching the message of God... Jeremiah tried to resign. (laughs) And don't blame him. All of us might have been weak at that time too, thinking, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? And look at all I'm going through. Now, I'm so glad that he did not resign. And one of the big reasons that he did not resign, says in Jeremiah 20, in verse number 9, look at it. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. In other words, I quit. <laughs> but look at this. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. In other words, I just could not shut up about the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something when God doesn't work in your heart, you don't have to be called to preach. They ought to have a hard time shutting up the Christian because every one of us ought to take a bold stand for the Lord. I don't mean we ought to be obstinate. I don't mean we ought to be argumentative. But listen, we live in a world that doesn't have a problem tooting their sins all over the place. Where's the child of God like a Jeremiah that will take a bold stand for the Lord? Jeremiah says, look, I thought about quitting, but I just had it you know, it's kind of like the preacher, listen, every Sunday I get up here, you don't, ha- you don't have to crank me up and, and, and pump me up with coffee and all those types of things. Listen, God's put a message in me and it doesn't take nothing to get that out, all right? and that's what Jeremiah was saying here he says god's word was like a burning fire shut up in my bones and he says and i could not stay and so again that 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 feeling of resigning soon left him and i'm glad that it did notice then next thing we see here that after nebuchadnezzar of course the king captured jerusalem notice he was offered jeremiah was offered after the city was captured he was offered a position if he would go to Babylon. So that they're heading to Babylon, going into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar, one of his, uh, one of his uh, people in charge, offers Jeremiah a position in Babylon if he would go. Now, he felt, and this is what we see as you study the book, that he should remain with the remnant that were not taken into captivity. And you can see that in chapter forty. In the beginning of that chapter, now notice, for fear of the Chaldeans, the remnant that did not go to Babylon, the remnant wanted to go to Egypt. So they didn't want to go to Babylon. What is Egypt a type of? Type of the world. So, you know, we don't want to go into captivity, but we'll go to Egypt, you know. And so it says here that Jeremiah preached, against this move. Jeremiah's basically telling them that is wrong. That's not the thing to do. And notice that the remnant left Canaan for Egypt and they took Jeremiah captive with them. In other words, Jeremiah, you don't have a choice. You're going with us. And we find that in chapter 42 all the way into chapter 43. Now, the contents of the book, Jeremiah is a book, look at this, many things, but here's a couple thoughts. It's a book of interrogation, it's a book of restoration, it's a book of lamentations, and it's a book of persecutions, and we find all kinds of things throughout this. Of course, many chapters that we can read now. Some of the things we do find in the book of Jeremiah are symbolic. Okay, now look at some of these, uh, some of these symbols that we find. One of them you're probably most familiar with is that of the potter and the clay in chapter eighteen. Another one would be the girdle mentioned in chapter 13. How many of you know that, that passage, the girdle? All two or three of us, all right? And then you have the picture of the bottles. Now, we would not. these are not bottles that we would think of bottles. These are more of earthen vessels that they would use uh, to put uh, fluids and liquids and whatever into in that day. Now, I want you to understand, and I'm not going to take the time we'll We'll look at the the potter and the clay here in just a minute, but I wanted you to understand some of the symbolism behind this. For instance, the girdle, all right, and I didn't give this to you. I just want to share this with you. If you want to jot it down, you're more than welcome to. You can come back on it, but what in the world is this all about? Now, how many of you even know what a girdle is? (laughs) Those of you that have your hand up, it's not the girdle that you think it is. It's different, but it's somewhat similar, all right? It was something that was worn around the middle. It would actually kind of, well, I think you understand what a girdle is, okay? But here's the thing is, a girdle was a garment that was worn the closest to the person. In other words, you would put this on and put outer things over it, so if you had that thought in mind, that it was worn closest to the per- person, representing how close the people were supposed to be to God. That was the whole idea behind it. This girdle is the closest to you, and like this girdle, that's how close you are to be to God. Everybody get the picture? Now, when you think about this, and, you, and I don't have time to give you the whole passage But here's what happens is Jeremiah hides that girdle, and the reason that he did it was to show God's people how distant, how far away from God they really were. You know, sometimes people are are living a life of sin, they're backslidden, and they don't even realize it. And, And many times, a picture is worth a thousand words. And God uses the symbolism because the people of Judah did not get it. They did not see how far their hearts were from God. And so God uses the symbolism of the girdle, the the bottles. Let me share this one with you. The bottles were meant to be a warning to the people of Judah. Jeremiah explained that the wine that was in the bottles was not necessarily a beverage to drink. The wine actually symbolized the wrath of Almighty God. And so when you think of this particular symbolic thing of the bottles, here's what it was about, that the nation, the the people of God, listen to this, and you think about America when I share this thought with you, the people would drink that wrath, God's wrath, until they become drunk and unable to save themselves from disaster. Wow. Can I just tell you that those that were hearing that prophecy from the prophet of God, listen, I don't know about you, but anybody that's in sin does not want to hear a message like that. And yet that is what he was declaring to them in a symbolic way that what's in those bottles It symbolizes the wrath of God, and you will continue to drink it until you become so drunk you cannot even save yourselves. And that is exactly what we see going on in the world today. Notice a few things as we move on. In Jeremiah, there are 151, listen to that, clearly marked prophecies that begin with the prophetic formula, the word of the Lord came. Every time Jeremiah shared one of these, the word of the Lord came. Now you know what I'm holding in my hands tonight? The word of the Lord. God has there's no new prophecies. God has given his word. And every time we open it, guess what? I don't have to say that formula, but the word of God came. We need to listen to the word of God, but Jeremiah uttered 151 clearly marked prophecies, the word of the Lord came. Notice Jeremiah referred to Babylon, that city, 164 times. That is more than the rest of the entire Bible put together. <laughs> think about that, Babylon. All right. Now uh, you have the chart there, I think somewhere a couple pages uh, towards the back of your notes there here 's the overview of the entire book and we 'll just look at it quickly here tonight because of time but there 's fifty two chapters and again, when you take a look at it, you can see the ministry of the kings down at the bottom, Josiah Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, and then of course Jeho Jehoi- uh, Chin and Zedekiah uh, at the end of it towards the end of it. Notice that as you look at it, you have these teachings, otherwise known as discourses. Even Jesus himself taught discourses. They're a teaching tool in the New Testament. There's some special prophecies that are given. Really, the book is divided in two major sections, and what is known as supplements are given. We'll talk a little bit about that, dealing with uh, some uh, isolated things like Baruch, the foreign nations, and, of course, the fall of the city of Jerusalem in chapter number 52. And so some books are a little bit more divided. Uh, We've seen that in the past. You'll see it in the book of Lamentations, which is just a short book. But nonetheless, this is an overview of the entire book of Jeremiah. Now, the character of the book, again, this is in that section dealing with prophecy. But the book is a combination of history. It is also a biography of Jeremiah And then, of course, dealing with prophecy. The subject of the book is God's message concerning the sins of Judah in general. So keep that in mind, the sins of Judah in general. But notice, in particular, it deals with the sins in Jerusalem. And then the inevitable judgment that came as a result of their sins. Remember, again, his his prophecy about the wrath of God. And the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. The wages of sin is. The Bible has much to say that there is consequences. It also deals with the future restoration of the Jews. And I love this. I mean, the book, yes, conti- contains much horror, but there is hope in the book of Jeremiah. And that hope is, notice here, through the righteous branch in the millennium. And the righteous branch, none other, is Jesus Christ himself. So again, you see God's message through the prophet of God dealing with the sins of mankind, specifically Judah and Jerusalem in particular, the inevitable judgment, the future restoration that we'll see. And again, that is the subject behind the book of Jeremiah. The purpose of the book, here it is for us, to teach us how sin... Whether it's unconfessed and unjudged, in other words, we may not right now be, uh, maybe we haven't confessed, just like uh, the people of Judah had not confessed their sins, they had not been judged. But notice that sin will bring full judgment from God in order that His people may be restored. Here's a little simple statement that I've said many times in my ministry, judgment always precedes blessing. You always find it in the Bible. God having to deal with his people, but once God has dealt with them, God will bless again. Aren't you glad God blesses again? And so, again, God loves us. Any parent that loves their child is not going to allow them to continue in sin. They're going to deal with it, but guess what? They're your child. You love them and that too will pass. So we find the purpose here is to teach us about sin and the judgment of God so that there can be restoration. Here's something that, on just a side note, and I don't want to spend a lot of extra time on this, but you know a lot of people, especially newer Christians, don't understand that when when you have a, a problem in the church, we're talking New Testament now, that when there is a problem in the church, that there is a formula that God gives to us. We oftentimes refer to it, as church discipline. Now, the reality is most people have never experienced it. They don't know anything about it, but there is a biblical way to deal with uh, problems within the church. But can I tell you that the goal of discipline is always restoration? Let me say that again. The goal of discipline is always restoration. The Bible says our sins have separated us from our God. When there's sin in the camp, God wants us to deal with it properly, biblically. But the whole end result of any sin is restoration. See, look, God is the one that's tempering the body together. You're here because God brought you here. And it's not the church's business or my business to boot people out of here. You see, that's God's business. God wants everyone to stay. God wants everyone to be a part of. God wants everyone to... To grow. You say, Pastor, why did you say that? I have no idea. It's just in the Bible. All right? So it's just extra tonight. Now, notice the outline, and we'll cover this. The call of Jeremiah chapter 1, and then the next quite a few ch- chapters through chapter 20 deals with rebukes, warnings, and promises to the Jews. And you see many things there, rebukes, warnings, promises. Then you find from chapter 21 to chapter 23 some denunciation of rulers, those false shepherds, and some of the prophets. These were people that Jeremiah was prophesying against, and of course, there were many in his day. Notice number four, the predictions of divine judgments, what God would do, the overthrow of Jerusalem, the 70 weeks captivity, and of course, into Babylon, chapters 24 to 29. Then, here's this great little section, tucked right in from chapter 30 to 33, look at it, Promises of restorations of the Jews. Right there, hope, right in the middle, surrounded by all the prophecies dealing with sin and the denunciation of false shepherds and so on. Number six, we see prophecies occasioned by the sins of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. And then you see in chapters 40 to 44, the wretched condition of the remnant left in Judah. Remember I said earlier, How that Jeremiah was going to stay with them and how, again, he was trying to get them to see the error of their ways. And then notice it deals with prophecies uttered to them. And then in chapter 45, we see this consolation to Baruch. And then you see in chapters 46 to 51, prophecies concerning hostile nations. Now, again... When it uses the word nations, you have either Jews or you have Gentiles. And so it deals with those that are a part of the nations, not a part of God's people. And then the fulfillment of the prophesied destruction of Jerusalem is the last chapter in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 52. So there is a lot there. That outline does no justice to this 52 chapters of this particular book. Notice the scope of the book. From the it deals with from the rest of Reformation under Josiah and that you find given to us in Chronicles chapter thirty-four until the overthrow unto Babylon in chapters fifty-two, you see the period of his prophecies was forty-six years. Now we saw and you have the chart there, you can look at it at a later time. That's quite a long bar that you see there. Other prophets we find that their ministries overlapping, but his was 46 years that God gave to him. He's the writer. We see that in chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah. So as the writer, now know to whom did he write? His ministry was confined to the southern kingdom of Judah. And again, I don't have time to go back. You can go back in your notes or even look in the Bible. But remember how that there was a division, kind of like Brother Kenny tried to do with the church tonight. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, and listen, un, one day God is going to rule and reign over all of them. But there was a division that was there. When was this particular book written? We call Jeremiah. Again, his prophecy was from 626 to 580 B.C. 626 to 580 BC, and it was written or recorded in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. The key chapter, and there's 52 of them, but I'm going to call chapter number two, the key chapter, where we find there the plea for Israel to return to God. And this is something that our world still needs today, is we need to turn back to God. America needs to turn back to God. And so we see this in chapter number two. Notice the key verses in that chapter. Look at verse 19, and look at this this unbelievable statement. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. What do you see people plaster on their cars nowadays? No fear. There's no fear. There's no awe. There's no reverence for God in this world we live in today. People don't respect God, the house of God, the things of God. Listen, you know what you hold in your hands tonight? The words of God. And yet, how many times we just throw our Bibles around? You know, we, we come to the house of God like it's just, like we're going to whatever. Respect the things of God. You know, I, I think about those, those vans out there on the parking lot. Many times I'll say to Brother Kenny, listen, we need to wash the vans. Change the oil in the vans. There's some stains on the seat. And I told him, I said, we need, he ordered some stuff. I want to get those cleaned up. I say, Pastor, why do you do that? Because this is God's house. These are the things of God. We need to make sure that we are respecting God, respecting the things of God, because we live in a world where no one respects God. And we see this amazing verse here in the key chapter. Notice the key words, not just one. I had to narrow it down to two. One of them is used 13 times, the word backsliding. Again, I mentioned, I think it was last week. And if you, you, you want a simple definition for backsliding, here it is. It's a falling away from the truth. That's what backsliding is. And and Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Here's another word we use. It goes right along with backsliding is the word apostasy. It's a falling away. We are living in a day where there's a falling away from the truth. You know, that's that's why there's so many different Bible versions. Be careful. Be cautious. When somebody watches, I, I I really struggle with these modern Bibles. You see, when you study the Word of God, here's what we believe, and the reason we believe it is because it's taught in the Word of God. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Word of God. That means that we believe that the words that every word is inspired, and the very words are inspired of God. And you know what the modern Bibles do? Instead of literal word-for-word translation, they are translating God's word thought for thought. They're missing it. You see, every word is the pure word of God. And some of you may understand that. Some of you maybe need to take some time to let that digest. But listen, the word backsliding is used 13 times and 47 times the word return is used. 47 times, God says, I want you to return. And again, you see the grace and mercy of God. I know that you're away from me, but I want you to return. That's the message he gave to Jeremiah. And it speaks of those who had been near to God, but have allowed sin to take them away from God. And a lot of God's people used to be near to God. What does the Bible say? Draw nigh to God and what? He will draw nigh to you. People say, well, I just don't understand why God's not working in my life. Well, how close are you to Him? Are you girdle close? You get it? That was my pun. Didn't work. All right? Some of you, I'm just trying to liven some of you up. You're too serious. All right? Now, the key phrase is go and cry. Go and cry. Jeremiah 2.2, 2, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou winnest after me in the wilderness, in the land that was not sown. Look at those precious words there. When thou winnest after me. You know, the Bible says, if we seek him, we will find him. And we have to look for the Lord. And by the way, he wants to be found. God's not playing hide and go seek. He wants us to know him. The key thought is condemnation and wickedness. And again, all because of sin, the condemnation and wickedness. Spiritual thoughts, two of them I'll give you from the book of Jeremiah. Here's one in chapter 8 and verse 6. If a man thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. You ever heard something like that before? You know, there's so many verses in the Bible. Here's the verse, listen to it. I hearkened and heard but they spake not aright. Listen to this. No man repented him of his wickedness. No man. In other words, everybody's doing that which is right in his own eyes. God says, no man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? How about this? Every one turned to his course as the horse rusheth into the battle. See, God, again, tells us that if we better take heed. Again, look at it. Think he that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. And then in chapter 13, we see this spiritual thought. Get ready with cleansing. How do we get ready with cleansing? Chapter 13 and verse 27, God says, "I have seen thine adulteries and thy neighings, the lewdness of thy whoredom and thine abominations on the hills in the fields." Woe unto thee, O Jerusalem! Wilt thou not be made clean? What does the Bible say? And do you guys know 1 John one nine? How does that verse go? If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from what all unrighteousness. See, God is ready to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and it was true in jeremiah's day notice the uniqueness of the book here's the first one and i wanted to get back on this thought because it is so prevalent is the causes for backsliding and again you see right here if you go to chapter 8 of jeremiah and you look at verses 5 to 9 this just goes straight down those verses so i won't take the time to read it because really these points cover those verses notice the causes for backsliding what are they holding fast to deceit, speaking not aright, not repenting, going one's own way, ignorant of the times, ignoring the judgments of God, having vain confidence, being ashamed of the Lord, and rejecting the word of the Lord. Now look at that formula and think about the world you're living in today. We are backslidden away from God because you see so much of that happening today, the deceit, Nobody's repenting, everybody's going their own way, people are ignorant of the times, they're ignoring the judgment of God, and it will come. People have confidence in themselves and in this world. They're not ashamed of the Lord. They, 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 are, they are ashamed of the Lord, and they reject the word of the Lord. So, again, you see the backslidden state there. Now, notice Jeremiah gives us, I call this a spiritual diet in chapter 15 and verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. That's kind of, that's kind of diet we all need to be on, right? By the way, that diet is without calories, all right? You can eat all you want. And by the way, the more you eat, the healthier you'll be. And that's what we need is a spiritual diet. Notice, coming back to chapter 18, the potter's vessel, three things about this as you study it. The first one is the clay, it represents the house of Israel. And remember the clay, you even see this, how God formed man out of the dust of the ground. So here we find the clay is the house of Israel, dug out of Egypt, out of the world. God brought them into Canaan, and the potter, of course, is God. And God seeks to fashion his people like unto himself. God still wants us to be his people. So we've we've got to see, when you look at this passage dealing with the potter's vessel, the clay is dealing with the house of Israel. Now notice the wheels. And by the way, notice the plurality there. You have one above and one below. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what's going on in heaven and what's going on on the earth. And the old time potters, they would use these wheels, they would put the clay on it, and they would begin to mold and to make. Notice what are the wheels? They are the promises, the purposes, the providences of God, all working at the same time because of the wheels together to do what? To mold and shape us for God's glory and for his good pleasure. That's why we were created. That we would bring God his glory and he would have pleasure out of our lives. Our lives are not our own. We saw that this morning. And so we find the, the clay, we find the wheels, and then look at this. The vessel that is mentioned there is really your life and mine in the hands of God. We are we are the vessel, he's the potter, and God is the one that can do what he wants with us, with our lives, and we ought to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and here it is, not my will, but thine be done. And let God have his way. Brother Kenny sings that song often during invitations, have thy way, Lord. Have thine own way, all right? And so We see Christ magnified a couple ways here in the book of Jeremiah. Notice, first of all, he is known as the balm of Gilead in chapter 8 and verse 22. And if you know anything about balms, they were used for medicinal purposes to bring healing. Uh, I really believe, I wasn't here at the time and there's very few left, but I really believe that Mark Brown was a balm for this church. Some of you were here when Pastor Brown came, and of course he's been with the Lord now for about seven years, but I really believe what happened before he came, that God brought him here to help the church heal. And so we understand that when you think about the healer, the great physician, that's the Lord, and we find here that God's people needed a remedy, and guess what, the remedy that they needed is the same remedy that the world still needs today, the world needs Jesus, People need the Lord, and so he's the balm of Gilead in chapter 8. Chapter 14, he's the hope of Israel, and, and again, you think about this matter of the hope of Israel. God is the object of our highest hopes, and he would never, ever let us down, so we understand how important he is in our lives. The next thing we see him in chapter 18 again is our potter. And um, just mentioned that song, you're the potter, I'm the clay, mold and make me after thy will, while I am waited, yielded and still. And so he is our potter. Notice I mentioned earlier chapter 23 in verse 5, the beginning of that, he is a righteous branch. You say, what is all that about? Well, the branch was one that would ultimately bear fruit which will unite God with his people forever. Think about this. We had no way as mankind to get to God. So you know what God did? He came down to us. He provided a way that we could have salvation, and Jesus is that righteous branch. The Messiah is called the righteous branch, not only because he himself is righteous, but because he will make us righteous. And you think about what the Bible teaches, how that when God looks at us, He sees us as He sees His own dear Son because of the blood of Jesus that has been applied to our account. And thank God for that, that He is the righteous branch. Now that same verse there, verse 5 of chapter 23, it also mentions that He is a king. Jesus is the king from whom God will rule this world in righteousness. Now, again, you see this carried over. It's, it's kind of brought into light in the New Testament. If you want to write the reference down, you probably know these verses. In Luke chapter 1, think about this as he is a king or the king that God would rule and reign. The Bible says, And behold, there thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob. Anybody know how long? Forever. The Bible says forever. And his, of his kingdom there shall be no end. So right there, even at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find that he is a king or the king that would rule this world in righteousness. And then one last way he's presented is In chapter 50, verse 6, our resting place. You see, God's people have been in captivity. Uh, And when you come to chapter 50 for many years, uh, God's people, the people of Judah, had forgotten how good it was to have rest. When you are in captivity, you are not resting. They had forgotten what it was like. And so the way to return to God is to weep and to seek the Lord and to set your face Toward Zion. Psalm 23, you know the verse. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside what? Still waters. All right. He is our resting place. All right. Now notice as we conclude Jeremiah, before we move on to Lamentations, the central message of all of Jeremiah's prophecies is Judah's inevitable destruction. And they're exiled by the Babylonians at the hands of a very wrathful God. Now, while we find here that he's making these terrible predictions, of course, Jeremiah was giving many prophecies. Jeremiah, during the time that he was making these prophecies, had to deal with kings who wanted to imprison him, they wanted to execute him. Uh, King Jehoiakim tosses a copy, I mentioned earlier, of Jeremiah's prophecies into the fireplace. King Zedekiah gives the people permission even to kill Jeremiah. And so all of this is going on as he is telling the people of the judgment of God that is inevitable. Now eventually Judah and Jerusalem are ransacked. They're burned just like Jeremiah had been saying all along. And most of the population gets dragged off to Babylon. And again, there was a remnant, a small number that stayed as a result of that. And it says, in contrast to the doom and gloom narrative of most of the book I mentioned earlier, chapters 33 through 36 are often known as the book of consolation. Consolation, book of comfort. And these were God's words of hope and comfort. Four chapters dealing with mercy. And they predict that God's people, they, they, again, they would be surrounded, these chapters, by 48 chapters of divine wrath. Now, Jeremiah is speaking with God's voice, and I love this. He is declaring the message for God, and he predicts the people would be led back to Judah. But this time, as they go back to Judah, things will be different. They won't be like they were before. They, when they get back there, according to the prophecies, they will worship God with full devotion, and they won't just go through the motions. Sometimes I think that's what happens. Even when we that are part of the church come to church, we just go through the motions. That's why sometimes I even tell Brother Kenny, hey, let's do this and let's leave this off and let's move this here. And I know that we love to get into some sort of routine, but listen, I'm not interested in formal uh, worship. I want God to work. I want God to move, and we need to understand that sometimes we just go through the motions as they did there in Judah. Now, Jeremiah, as you look at this, he reminds us that man cannot play with sin and get by with it. I mentioned this earlier in Numbers 32. But if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sins will find you out. You cannot hide from God. And so we find a great book here, the book of Jeremiah. Now, the book of Lamentations, which is kind of a hand-in-hand book with the book of Jeremiah, I call it the book of tears. And Lamentations, the very name there, can be rendered dirge. Now, most of us aren't familiar with D-I-R-G-E. It literally means sad song. It's something that expresses mourning for the dead. That's what a dirge is. You probably have heard of a funeral dirge before. And so, literally, this is what it is. It's a book of tears. Jeremiah 7.29, even though it's not in this particular book, listen to this, Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem. Cast it away. Take up a lamentation on high places for the lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. So we see this book of tears. Jeremiah we just looked at is a book of warning. Lamentations is a book of uh, excuse me, a uh, book of warning. Lamentations is a book of mourning. One is warning the people of God, the other is mourning for the people of God. The contents Lamentations notice they they abhor The the fulfillment of the prophecies already uttered by Jeremiah. The leading object was to teach the suffering Jew neither to despise the chastening of the Lord nor to faint when thou art rebuked of Him, but to turn to God. See, God allows us to go through that, and what are we to do? Turn to Him with deep repentance to confess their sins and to humbly look to him alone for pardon and for deliverance. So again, we, we, we can clearly see the leading object of the book of Lamentations and what it deals with. The prophet portrays some hope. If you notice, even through these books, the book of horror and hope, that there's always hope. There's always, with God, there is always hope that God would be merciful unto them. That he would restore them again to their former privileges. Now, I want want to illustrate this by that chart that you have. Throw that up there if you would, and this one breaks down because it's a small book. But notice the grief, the cause, the hope, the repentance, and the prayer. Jerusalem weeps, Jehovah punishes. Notice the hope in the midst of the affliction. Sin, the cause of that punishment, and then the plea for mercy. All of these are each one of the chapters, the five chapters of the book of Lamentations. It breaks down very easy for you to study. And of course, it's a smaller book, but you can use that as you do. Notice the character of the book. Again, this deals with the personal testimony of this prophet known as the weeping prophet, the prophet with a broken heart. The subject is Jehovah's love, and yet his sorrow for the people of Israel, whom he is chastening. Uh, yet your parent ever uh, well, I guess I need to be careful about how I ask this. I know so, some of you may have been like me and your parents loved you enough that they they uh, they showed their love to you, if I can say it that way. And there were times where my dad would say this to me, Son, this bothers me more than it bothers you. It hurts me more than it hurts you. Anybody ever have a parent say something like that to him? <laughs> You know what? I, I found that to be true when I had kids. Even when my children did something they shouldn't have done and they deserved what they were getting, I, I always hated it. You know, and there's been times <laughs> where we've had uh, our grandkids or somebody else's kids or whatever, and I just refuse. I, that's not my job, not my responsibility to discipline somebody else's children. But God gives us as parents a responsibility. Well, think about this. He is our father, and we are his children. And there are times God is going to deal with us, but look at this. He always loves us. And you see the sorrow of God for his people here whom he's chastening. And the sorrow really is wrought by the spirit in the heart of Jeremiah. It's it's almost as if Jeremiah is crying out for God. And God wanted them to see how much this hurt him. And it's something that every parent, if they have a heart, it bothers them, that they have to deal with their children. And so we see that in the subject. Now, the purpose is to teach us how to have fellowship with him. Here's the key words, in his sufferings, while God's suffering. We see Paul even telling those in Philippi, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And sometimes we see this. Now, again, here's the outline. Gave it to you a minute ago. This is a little bit different, but it pretty much follows that, the ruin and and misery in Jerusalem in chapter 1. Chapter 2, we find the cause of Jerusalem's overthrow. And then in chapter 3, Jeremiah's grief over Jerusalem's affliction. And really, I could have said there jehovah's grief but again jeremiah is the prophet god is using chapter 4 is israel's former glory contrasted with their present misery you know the way it used to be the glory you know that you ever read that in the old testament ichabod the glory has departed you know israel jerusalem used to be this bastion of god and god's presence and and it was no longer that way And then we see in chapter 5, the appeal to God and the prayer for mercy. The scope of this book, although it's small, probably written during a three-month interval between the capture of Jerusalem and Jeremiah's kidnapped journey to Egypt. Remember how they took him, that remnant, and really took him in. So it was about a three-month interval there. Many believe that this was written during that time, of course, written by Jeremiah and this too, like the book of Jeremiah, was confined to the southern kingdom of Judah. That, that is the target audience for Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. This was written probably about 586 B.C., and it too was recorded in the city of Jerusalem. And with only five chapters, the key chapter is chapter number three, which deals with Jeremiah's sharing Israel's affliction. And just pouring this out, the affliction. Key verse comes from chapter one. Look at this. How doth the city, talking about Jerusalem, sit solitary, that was full of people? How is she become a widow? She that was great among the nations, a princess among the provinces, how is she become tributary? And the word there tributary basically carries the connotation a burden, really a shame. And it's, it's, it, you know, again, you think about the world we live in today. I, lo- I love America, but really America is no longer the, the nation, one nation under God. And we see the same thing going on in our world today. And we can learn much from Jeremiah. The key word is in the title of it, tears. And the key phrase is mourning and lamentations. The Lord was an enemy he hath swallowed up Israel, he hath swallowed up all her palaces, he hath destroyed his strongholds, and hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentations. Notice, he hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning. God, God says, if you're not going to do what I ask you to do, then I'm going to deal with you. And he increased their mourning and lamentations. The key thought is the word affliction. It's found nine times in the book of lamentation just five chapters but found nine times the spiritual thoughts and we see three of them here the first one is repent chapter three in verse number 25 the lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him and anytime we're away from god we're in sin the first step back to god is to repent And we see that's one of the key spiritual thoughts. The second one is also in chapter 3, verses 22-23, the Lord's mercies, His compassions, and His faithfulness. And again, I love these verses. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. And notice they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And then chapter 3 and verse 31 is this thought, these words, the Lord will not cast you off forever. Aren't you glad for that? God will not cast us off forever. A couple things about the uniqueness of the book. Chapter 1, verse 15 mentions the wine press. Now, some of us probably don't really understand this, but a wine press, oftentimes it was a trough, sometimes it was more of a cylinder But it was a place they would put ripe grapes into, and those grapes were then stepped upon, crushed by people walking on them. Jeremiah uses this wine press, again, to illustrate how God, in judgment, will crush and trample upon Israel for their sins. Again, a very vivid picture. Uh, of the wine press there and God's judgment to crush them the second one we see in chapter 3 and verse 40 it really is the entire verse here three things about advice to backsliders earlier we covered backsliding so look at the advice here's the advice if you're away from God if you're not as close to the Lord as you used to be notice he says here let us that's a respond that we need to have to the invitation let us then notice, let us do what? Search and try our ways. That's examine self. So the invitation is given. We need to examine ourselves and then watch this. Search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. There's the repentance. So chapter 3 and verse 40 is some great advice to those that have gotten away from God that are cold and not as close to the Lord as they used to be. How is he, Christ magnified? two ways in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 24. He is known as my portion. Now a portion has to do with a ration or a part of something that is divided. It can actually be translated inheritance as the word portion. So what does it mean? God is the source of all happiness and blessing. He is our portion. And then in chapter 3 and verse 30, here's one A little bit more sobering, he is the smitten one. And when you think of that word there, smite, of course, there's a lot of pictures. Isaiah covered that in his book, chapter 53. But we know the song we sing often, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And the Bible says he giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him, and he is filled full with reproach. Uh, Every time we we get to thinking, and we ought to think often, what Jesus has done for us. And we see him as the smitten one. Now, the conclusion of lamentations, here it is. The goodness of God is one of his attributes that ought to humble every person, whether we're a sinner or a saint. The goodness of God. And all through the sin and misery and woe of Israel, which afflicted God's prophet Jeremiah, all through that, Jeremiah could still look up, even through that, and he could thank God for his goodness and his faithfulness. It's easy sometimes when we're going through difficult times. I don't know if any of us could ever compare what we've gone through or will go through with what Jeremiah did. But through all of that, through Jeremiah seeing God's people turn away from him, and the judgments that he predicted and what did happen, Jeremiah still found a way to look up and to thank God for his goodness and his faithfulness. See, though we may wander and turn our backs on the Lord, God has promised to never, ever leave us nor forsake us. God is always faithful. The goodness of God sometimes, yes, it includes grief and affliction. Though God may permit grief, God will have compassion according to the multitude of of his tender mercies. I'm going to ask Brother Kenny to come, Miss Becky, and I want, you, I want to sing a song tonight as we conclude this evening, and I, I think the song is very fitting as we think about the book of Lamentations, and so Brother Kenny is going to lead us in a couple verses of the song Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's stand and sing this to the Lord tonight. Sing it from your heart, would you?